the Force is not a superpower. The Force is not just about being able to throw things across the room. In terms of the Force as like a mystical concept, as Yoda describes it, it's a thing that all living beings create. It's kind of this energy between all living things. This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, or as close as a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. On this May 4th edition of Forever Star Wars, let's ask a simple question. What is the Force? Well, it's a simple question without a simple explanation, right? I mean, at its most basic, it's an energy field created by all living things. But what does that mean? And what are the implications of such a power? Our understanding of the Force has expanded alongside the storytellers who have shaped its meaning. From the original creator himself, George Lucas, to the men and women who have followed in his legacy, each new iteration of the Force gives us a larger and more comprehensive understanding of its scope. But, even after it's explained to us in the simplest of terms, we still find ourselves asking the question. Okay. But what is it? I'm Mark Marquis, a writer for ClashingSabers.net, and here in Episode 5, I'll explore some of the ways the Force has been defined within film and TV since the start of the franchise back in 1977. It's a lot of ground to cover. But before we get started, I should mention that I'll be discussing the scenes which occur in several of the films, as well as a few key episodes of both The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels animated series. There will be some spoilers ahead. You've been warned. So, where should we begin? Well, it's always a good idea to start at the beginning. The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. When Star Wars burst upon the world stage in the 1970s, it was so different from anything that had come before it. There was a science fiction element, but the world in which it existed was old and weathered and worn. Gone were the glistening towers of Metropolis, absent the clean and futuristic technology of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Star Wars was wonderfully analog. It had switches and dials and worn leather seats in its starships. The sleeker designs in the Star Wars universe were reserved for the Empire and its utilitarian fascism. And tucked away in those layers of grit and grease and space debris were oddly familiar concepts of good and evil. There was a theme of morality running like a babbling brook beneath the topsoil of a space adventure. This bizarre galaxy was distant and alien, but at its heart was something familiar. A mysterious force. A mystical energy that piqued our curiosity. And a lot of people instantly recognized this force as having profoundly religious overtones. But George Lucas wasn't using the Force as a stand-in for religion. He was more interested in how religion affects the human condition. I don't see Star Wars as profoundly religious. I see Star Wars as 
as taking all of the issues that religion represents and trying to distill them down into a, a more modern and e more easily accessible construct to accept the fact that there is a greater mystery out there. Religion is basically a, a, a container for faith. Um, faith is uh, the, the glue that holds us together as a society. Uh, is a very important part of, uh, I think, allowing us to, to remain stable, remain balanced. By combining the simplicity of adventure, the wonder of science fiction, and the imaginative possibility of fantasy, Lucas was crafting a new morality tale for a new age. In some ways, he was giving mythology a facelift and introducing it back into a bleak and cynical world. He wanted to ignite a connection to the old stories that were told around campfires or listened to in church pews, because he felt our culture was beginning to move away from the sort of connection that comes from a shared mythology. He didn't want to replace the faiths of old. He wanted to explore what made them so enduring. If it's a tool that can be used to make old stories be new and relate to younger people, that's what the whole point was. And I've tried to take the ideas that seem to cut across the most cultures, uh, because I'm fascinated by that. And I think that's one of the things that got from Joe Campbell was that what's what he was trying to do is find the common threads through the various mythology, through the, the religions. One of these common threads that Joseph Campbell found throughout the cultures of history was how mentors in the hero's journey play a finite role in the growth of the hero. The mentor opens up a new world of enlightenment for the hero. The mentor guides the hero as far as possible, but at some point in the story, the mentor must exit. Either through sacrifice or by tragedy, the mentor's role is removed in order for the hero to step up and use what he or she has learned to overcome greater challenges. Ben Kenobi opened Luke's mind to the existence of the Force, but when the moment came, Ben understood that his part in this story was over. On the Death Star, when Ben is confronted by his old nemesis, Darth Vader, he gives Vader a cryptic warning about his own future. Your powers are weak, old man. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. What is Ben referring to? Well, given the fact that Ben literally becomes one with the Force at the exact moment that Vader's blade slices through him, it probably refers to his ability to live on after death as a Force ghost. But I think it means much more. In the movie Rogue One, which takes place right before the events of A New Hope, we see small communities of resistance beginning to assemble in secret to fight the tyranny and oppression of the Empire and they use an old saying of the Jedi as a means to identify and lift up one another for the cause. May the Force be with you isn't just a slogan or a polite farewell used by the rebellion. It's a rallying cry of faith, a clarion call for freedom. On the ancient world of Jeddah, among the sacrosanct ruins of millennia-old statues, the galaxy's few remaining pilgrims flock to the ancient temples of the Jedi, once rich with kyber crystals. The temples had since been plundered by the occupying empire for a secret weapon project that would soon be revealed to be the Death Star. Guardians of the Wills are a religious order of monks who once protected the temples on Jeddah and still remain even when there's nothing left in the temples to protect. Citizens of Jeddah, you must come 
forward with information of the location of this missing cargo pilot. The Guardians are not practitioners of the Force. They worship it. And although they're not Jedi, they still have a connection to the Force that gives them more insight than the average person. Guardians can sense the Force in or around others. They know things that regular people cannot discern. One such individual is Chirrut Imwe, a blind monk of the Wills, who comes to the defense of rebel soldiers Cassian Andor and Jyn Erso when they're captured by stormtroopers in Jeddah City. The Force is with me, and I am with the Force. And I fear nothing for all this as the Force wills it. Hey, stop right there. He's blind. Is he deaf? I said stop right there. Despite his inability to see, Chirrut is able to cut down the stormtroopers using his heightened senses. He isn't superhuman, is your foot all right? but he's super in tune with the possibilities of the Force. The light of the Jedi may have been snuffed out, but belief in the Force was not. Just like the Force, belief exists in all places and resides within all individuals, whether they know it or not. Faith is always there, ready to be harnessed by anyone willing to look for it. And faith is a direct through line to the Force, a belief in something greater, something more powerful than the oppression of the Empire. This is the Rebel Alliance's greatest asset. When Ben Kenobi sacrifices himself for the cause, he becomes much more than a dusty relic of a bygone era. During his years of hiding on Tatooine, he trained to learn the secret of immortality. Normally, when a person dies, their energy becomes one with the Force and their individuality ceases to exist. But by living on through the Force, Ben gives voice to it. He's able to continue guiding Luke towards his destiny. Luke can now communicate directly with the Force because it's Ben Kenobi. Ben's warning to Vader about becoming more powerful than he could imagine was not simply about life after death. It was about his gift to Luke of a personal connection to the Force. The Force is no longer an abstract concept, something unseen and merely felt. It has transformed into the voice of a dear and trusted friend. The Force can now directly guide Luke and encourage him to look inside himself and trust in his abilities. Ben Kenobi, formerly Obi-Wan Kenobi, is now an idea. He's something the Rebel Alliance can believe in because he shows them what is possible through the power of faith. Several years pass, and then, on the frozen planet of Hoth, the ghost of Ben appears to Luke and tells him to find another Jedi to complete his training. We'll go to the Dagobah system. Dagobah system? There you will learn from Yoda, the Jedi Master who instructed me. Ben. He finds Yoda on a small swampy world teeming with life. Dagobah is a steamy bog of a planet, hot and humid. A thick cloud bank and a canopy of trees cover its surface, and beneath the canopy are thousands of miles of fetid water, separated by tiny pockets of dry land, which aren't as much dry as they are mucky. 
The life on Dagobah is abundant and rich. Every square centimeter appears to be alive. Slimy things with bodies hugging the ground crawl in and out of Yoda's hut. They find their way into every nook and cranny of Yoda's life, and he doesn't mind at all. He welcomes them. It's no accident that Yoda chose this planet for his exile. He'd been here before. He knew of its existence and knew its cache of life would be strong with the Force. He could hide from Vader and the Emperor in a place like this, camouflaged by the Force energy all around. Luke's training at the start is simple. Yoda has him performing a variety of calisthenics which teach Luke how to bring his mind and body into sharp focus. He climbs trees, does flips over boulders, sprints among the giant gnarled roots of the swamp trees. Yoda wants Luke to understand his environment, to memorize every detail of it, so he can easily traverse it. This teaches Luke the importance of being in harmony with his surroundings, but it also serves to illustrate how he should feel when he's at peace with the light side of the Force. The dark side, by contrast, is a much different thing entirely. The dark side is chaos, anger, and imbalance. The light side seeks harmony with surroundings. The dark endeavors to control and dominate it. Light is selfless, dark selfish. Luke feels something dark and cold during his training session with Yoda, and he can tell it's coming from a nearby part of the forest. Yoda knows this place well. It's strong with the dark side of the force. A place of great force energy like Dagobah has both light and darkness. They are yin and yang, powerful light met by powerful darkness. Much like the human condition, this balance is natural when undisturbed, but it can be easily thrown out of balance by the frailties of weakness and selfishness. It's an analogy for the war that rages inside each one of us. The conflux of dark energy Luke senses is within a cave. Yoda tells him he must enter it because it offers something that the dark side often does, truth, but truth at a terrible cost. Yoda tells him he won't need his weapons, but Luke ignores him. While in the cave, Luke is confronted by a specter of Darth Vader, a vision of his possible future. And he catches a glimpse of himself in Vader's mask, a stark warning of where Luke's aggression will lead if he isn't careful. Outside, Yoda can sense all of this, of course. He pokes the ground with his walking stick, distracted by Luke's failure inside the cave. There's so much at stake. If Luke can't be trained, all will be lost. This cave is familiar to Yoda because many years ago, he came to this place to learn about his own future and the future of the galaxy. So let's pause Luke's training for a moment to explore a time when Yoda embarked on a training quest of his own. In the Clone Wars animated series, set in the time of the Jedi, before the rise of the Empire, and during the waning days of the Separatist and Republic War, Yoda is contacted by someone he once knew. Qui-Gon Jinn, a Jedi who'd been slain by a Sith Lord before the war, makes contact with Yoda and tells him to seek out the swampy world of Dagobah. And there, the spirit of Qui-Gon revisits Yoda again. Strong this planet is with the Force. It is one of the purest places in the galaxy. How are you here? I am a manifestation of the Force. A Force that consists of two parts. 
Living beings generate the living force, which in turn powers the wellspring that is the cosmic force. When he was alive, Qui-Gon had discovered a secret within the Force to retain one's individuality after death, but he was unable to complete his training. For this reason, Qui-Gon manifests in voice only. He's in a place that exists outside of time and space. He can't see the future, but he leads Yoda to the Force Cave where the dark side will give Yoda the answers he's seeking. Just as Luke would discover later, the cave reveals a terrible truth to Yoda. Inside, Yoda has a vision of what the Jedi had become in the scourge of war. He sees Jedi being slaughtered in great numbers by an unseen adversary and the cackling laughter of the elusive Sith Lord behind it all. And Yoda finally had a name to put with the menace. Sidious. Qui-Gon was assigned the task to train Yoda for his most important lesson, to save the Jedi Order. Qui-Gon, unaware of the future, is merely a vessel in which the Force pours its will. He can't give insight or intervene. He can only guide Yoda to the places where he'll find answers to the secret of immortality. And the next place he sends Yoda is the very center of all life in the universe. Yoda finds this mysterious planet inside a white-hot nebula. The crust of the planet is barren, but marked with geysers, throwing bright ribbons of energy out into space. When Yoda descends into one of these geysers, he finds a living ecosystem in the subterranean world below, awash in brilliant light. This planet is the source for all life in the universe. Specifically, it's the place where the midichlorians originate the microscopic life forms that reside in all living things and by which the Jedi measure the force potential of sentient beings. The Jedi had become reliant on science to quantify and catalog the power of the force. They assumed they had mastered all which could be known in the universe. The human race has always believed it's known everything. Even the cavemen thought they had it all figured out. And they knew everything there was to know about everything because that's, what, that's where mythology came from. You know, it's constructing uh, some kind of context for the unknown. Returning to Yoda's quest for immortality, he's approached on the Force planet by five priestesses who guide him through a series of tests. Yoda. Who is there? Yoda. They float ethereal above him like spirits. Each priestess wears a mask, representing a different emotion. Sadness, joy, and serenity. One of the tests Yoda must pass is a confrontation with his true self. Yoda is confident he can pass such a test. He boasts that he's already mastered all that within himself that can be conquered. But he soon finds out he still has much to learn. On a floating island containing a giant gnarled tree, Yoda enters another cave, like the one on Dagobah. But something worse lurks in this one. Inside, he comes face to face with a dark version of himself. A black impish shadow with glowing red eyes that taunts him from the deep recesses of the cave. 
This terrifying creature is the darkness that has been growing inside him since the start of the war. Yoda recognizes you not. <laughs> See not what is inside Yoda. I choose not to give you power. And yet you spend your days in the decadence of war. And with that, I grow inside you. Know your true self. Face me now, or I will devour you. The Force pulls the veil from Yoda's eyes, and he realizes that this demonic vision before him is the rot inside his soul, festered by war. The five priestesses, these strange beings with a mysterious connection to the Force, show Yoda he can't ignore his choices or their consequences. His hubris made him vulnerable to the growing darkness within, the same darkness growing within all Jedi. And he came to a harsh realization. The Jedi would never win the Clone War. Even if it resulted in victory for the Republic, whatever the outcome of the war, the Jedi had already lost. But there existed hope within the Force, a path towards victory of a different kind. Shortly after his quest, Yoda witnesses the betrayal by Palpatine and the extinction of the Jedi under Order 66. Yoda returns to the planet Dagobah, once a place of revelation and discovery, now his prison of exile. And there he waits, patiently. More than 20 years pass. Luke's arrival on Dagobah provides Yoda with the opportunity to pass on all his knowledge to the last remaining Jedi, the most important Jedi, who could not only free the galaxy, but could restore the Jedi philosophy for a new generation of masters. The ultimate teaching moment between master and student comes when Luke's X-Wing, floating in the bog, begins to sink into the water and muck of the swamp. Yoda sees an opportunity to test Luke's abilities. Has he been paying attention? Is he up to the challenge of raising his ship from the water with nothing more than reliance on the Force? We'll never get it out now. So certain are you. Always with you, it cannot be done. Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. So, Luke takes a deep breath, clears his mind, and closes his eyes. His hand outstretched towards the partially submerged ship. The wing of the ship rocks ever so slightly as Luke musters all his concentration to raise it from the bubbling water. But the weight of the ship is too much. His concentration is broken. What remains of the craft disappears completely below the surface. Defeated, Luke shuffles back and collapses to the ground, his head low with disappointment and exhaustion. Luke gets up and walks away to sulk over his failure, but Yoda remains by the waterside, his gaze fixed on the place where the X-Wing once rested. If Luke will not heed the lesson, Yoda will have to show Luke what his heart and mind refuse to see. Yoda lowers his head and extends his tiny clawed hand outwards, and with no more effort than it takes to pick his cane up off the ground, he pulls the ship from its watery grave. 
Luke is astonished. He touches the bow of the ship, as if needing to feel the durasteel plating as proof of what he just witnessed. This was definitely more than moving stones. It was proof that the Force was capable of anything with the right training. But Luke still doesn't get it. Stunned and incredulous, he turns to Yoda. I don't... I don't believe it. That is why you fail. Belief would prove difficult for Luke the rest of his days. It's a problem we all have. We see what's possible in life, but we don't think it applies to us, or we come up with excuses for why we can't or won't try to achieve the most from life. This was the lesson Yoda was trying to teach Luke. Luke had no difficulty when it came to faith in others. His belief in the goodness of his father is what sets Luke apart from Obi-Wan and Yoda. In a way, he evolves beyond them because of his belief that light remained in the darkest of places. Obi-Wan and Yoda put their trust in Luke, but they saw him as the galaxy's best hope for salvation, and the only way to achieve that was to defeat Vader. Luke showed them he could be more. He could be Anakin Skywalker's saving grace. But when it came to himself, Luke would always struggle with his place in history. This doesn't diminish Luke as a hero. It adds layers of complexity to his journey. He isn't a paragon of virtue and confidence. He's flawed. He's us. Luke spends years wrestling with his doubts, just like all of us. And like some of us, he retreats from his failures instead of learning from them. He is his own harshest critic. And in his later years, it drives him into a nihilistic funk on a solitary island planet called Octo. Decades later, a much older and weathered Luke retreats to this sacred faraway place because he wants to shut himself off from the Force. The great mystery of the galaxy, which stirred him to action so many years ago and made him a legend, is something he now wants no part of. Not because he no longer believes in the power of the Force, but he thinks the galaxy is better off if the last Jedi plays no part in it. In the years following the defeat of the Empire and the rise of the New Republic, Luke attempted to fulfill the dying wish of Master Yoda. And he found a new generation of Jedi in which to pass on his skills and knowledge. But among those students was his troubled nephew, Ben Solo. Luke was unable to steer Ben away from the darkness, and when Luke reached out to see Ben's future, he saw something which terrified him so much, he realized Ben Solo could never be saved. This was in stark contrast to his relationship with Vader. Back then, he felt conflict in Vader, and in his idealism, he believed Vader could be saved. That belief so intrinsic to the nature of the Force, did eventually reach Vader, and Anakin Skywalker was brought back with the help of a loving son. But love was not enough for Ben Solo. Luke had a momentary flicker of panic in which he contemplated killing Ben in his sleep to prevent the terrible darkness ahead. But the moment passed in a flash, much the same way it had when he was standing over the fallen Vader on the second Death Star. But it was too late. Ben was awake and he saw the look in his uncle's eyes. The die was cast. Ben Solo lashed out. He destroyed Luke's school and most of its students. Luke Skywalker had failed his nephew. His students 
the galaxy. But most of all, and perhaps the most painful realization, he failed Leia. Luke's isolation is his penance, but he also believes this exile, this separation from the Force, will protect the galaxy from the destructive cycle between the dark side and the light. But the Force has other plans, and as often happens when the Force is involved, fate finds Luke when no one else can. Rey, the young scavenger from the desert world of Jakku, finds the old Jedi Master in his hidden fortress of exile. She's been alone her entire life, scrounging parts from the remains of star destroyers scattered across the Jakku wasteland like dead leviathons. She's a finder of broken things, and she fixes them. But something has called her here, to this place. Something inside her has awakened, and she doesn't understand it. She needs to understand it. She needs someone to show her what it all means. But Luke refuses to help. He's lost all faith in himself and his role as a mentor. Ray is not one to take no for an answer. She doesn't back down. And eventually, Luke acquiesces. Ray, the finder of broken things, has found a broken Jedi. The Force has guided these two people together one awakening within the Force, the other shut off from it. Neither would be the same again. Instead of training Rey in the ways of the Force, Luke wants her to understand something vital about it, something that took him decades and a series of tragic mistakes to learn for himself. So, on a rock face of a cliff high above the ocean, Luke guides Rey into her first communion with the Force. Reach out with your feelings. What do you see? The island. Life. Death and decay that feeds new life. Warmth. Cold. Peace. Violence. And between it all. Balance. And energy. A force. And inside you. Inside me. That same force. And this is the lesson. That force does not belong to the Jedi. To say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. Can you feel that? Luke's statement about vanity is interesting because in many ways, his solitude on Octo is very much an act of vanity. His view of the Force as something that exists in all things and connects all life, regardless of the petty wishes and desires of living beings, ignores the part about how he tried to cut himself off from it. Is it not the height of hubris to think oneself separate and cut off from the Force? Luke may have been separated from the Force while in Octo, but his choices were not. His decision to retreat into solitude affected his friends and loved ones who missed him and wanted to know if he was all right. 
The resistance suffered greater losses without Luke's participation, even if Luke thought he could do more harm than good by intervening. Luke still had faith in his friends and in Leia. He just didn't have any faith in himself, which is a familiar theme with Luke Skywalker, going all the way back to that swamp in Dagobah. And speaking of Dagobah, it's interesting that Luke chose a world strong with the Force as his hiding place. Much like Yoda before him, Luke realized a planet teeming with life such as Octo would have powerful Force energy that can mask his presence from other Force sensitives in the galaxy. Such places were not only alive with the light side of the Force, they also contained deep wells of darkness. Powerful light begets powerful darkness. But as with most places in the galaxy, these vergences or nexuses in the Force are places of supreme balance. Neither the light nor the dark prevails. Why is that? Well, I have a theory. Dagobah and Octo exist in the natural world. The life there evolved within an ecosystem as it did on many worlds throughout the universe. Where these ecosystems exist, so does balance. There is birth, warmth, and comfort, but there is also violence and death, predators and prey. Everything exists in harmony because everything has a purpose, survival. And survival, evolution, adaption, these things contribute to the greater balance of a complex system at play. When that system is threatened by a disturbing force from outside or within, and the balance is upset, then the result is often chaos. A lot of people believe the balance of the force means that all darkness has been abolished and only light exists. That's a fair assessment, but it's not one I share. To me, balance suggests equilibrium. One side offsets the other. In nature, we can see this with our very eyes. Plights of predator and prey and the violence that ensues from their struggle. But this darkness is part of life. The predator is a living thing which needs to feed itself or its young. The prey may be the underdog, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the prey outsmarts or outruns the predator. And so the prey evolves ever better means of survival. This is literally the definition of balance. Now, I'm not suggesting that evil is good for the environment, <laughs> not at all. But my view of the dark and the light is simply that they're both parts of the same thing, the cosmic and living energy in all things, everywhere. You can't have one without the other. But how you use each one determines your own fate, determines your path, your destiny, with all the rewards, consequences, and suffering those choices can cause. excited about our new base. We finally have a place to call home. Trust me, Hera, I'm excited. This is my excited face. Yeah, very nice. In the animated series Star Wars Rebels, the Phoenix Squadron chooses the planet Adalon for their hidden base. But what they didn't count on was the planet being home to swarms of giant spiders called Krikna. These creatures are aggressive and deadly, and they manage to pick off a couple of unlucky pilots before the ghost crew realizes they can keep them at bay using charged sensor markers to create a safe perimeter around the base. But something else lurks in the wilderness of Adalon, something much bigger and older. Are you there? 
I can sense your presence. The giant Bindu, an ancient Force-sensitive being, has a special connection to the Force and to the life on Adalon. Hello. Your imbalance woke me from a deep slumber. Imbalance? Your presence is like a violent storm in this quiet world. You're a Force wielder. But you're not a Jedi. Wielder? Hmm. Jedi and Sith wield the Ashlar and Bogan. The light and the dark. I'm the one in the middle. The Bendu. What do you call yourself? I am Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight. You carry conflict with you, Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight? Bendu teaches Kanan Jarrus a lesson about the Force as it relates to the natural world, a valuable lesson that Kanan needs to overcome his fear and a recent injury where he lost his sight in battle. The Bendu, sensitive to the delicate balance of light and dark, shows Kanan that the spiders are not his enemy. They are a reflection of the turmoil he brings with him. If Kanan is fearful, ready to attack to defend himself, they will attack. If he's at peace and shows no fear, they'll respond in kind and do him no harm. The Bendu is helping Kanan to see the world in ways his eyes can't. His eyes can deceive him, but a different kind of sight feeling the world in balance. This is the real truth he seeks. It not only allows Kanan to move among the spiders unharmed, it also gives Kanan the inner strength to face his own destiny without fear. This fascinating new take on the Force was introduced in the animation wing of Star Wars, and if you haven't been watching the animated series because you think they're just cartoons for kids, you've been missing out. The Clone Wars and Rebels series have added some incredibly rich lore to the Star Wars mythos, and some of the most heady and far-out stuff involving the Force has come straight from the creator himself. George Lucas was the consulting expert on any storyline in the Clone Wars that involved the Force, and that carried through as Dave Filoni transferred George's insights into Star Wars Rebels. The concept of the Force using nature to assist or communicate with our main characters is showing up more often. In The Last Jedi, the crystal foxes, those little pointy-eared critters on crate, play a significant role in helping the survivors of the Resistance get out of their cave during the First Order attack. And we see more animals functioning as spirit guides in the series Rebels. The planet Lothal, which is one of the main locations of that series, turns out to be a very special planet in the universe. Like Dagobah and Octo, it seems to be a wellspring of the Force, a nexus through which powerful streams of Force energy flow, and the wildlife on Lothal is greatly affected by it. Lothal, with its grassy plains and rolling hills, is where the main characters of Rebels first meet. Although their adventures take them to many worlds in battles against the Empire, the characters eventually return to Lothal, because this planet contains more than just an Imperial stronghold. It's a Virgence, a place around which the Force has poured much of its power, a conduit, if you will. The giant loath wolves that hunt here are Force-sensitive, as are some of the other species, like white loath cats, and the mysterious convor birds that can often be seen around Ahsoka Tano, no matter where she travels in the galaxy. Lothal is also the location of a hidden Jedi temple, 
Towards the end of the series, the Lothal Temple and the Wolves play a pivotal role in the fight to drive the Empire from the planet. The Wolves seem to have a connection to Ezra Bridger, Kanan's young Padawan, and they speak to him, and also to Kanan. It has a deep connection to the Force, to the energy of this planet. Don't all living things? This is different, more focused, like it has a purpose. And we're a part of it. I'm getting a feeling building the TIE Defender isn't the worst thing the Empire's doing here. There's something else, something more sinister. Doom is the last name of Kanan when he was a young Jedi who survived Order 66. Back then, he went by the name Caleb. The reason for this speaking wolf is never explained, but I believe the wolf is Caleb Doom, or at least what he was meant to be before the Jedi Purge. Stay with me here. We already know that all life is connected through the Force. When Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and Yoda died, they became part of the living Force but they managed to retain their identities from their former life. They were still individuals, but they were also the Force itself. They aren't separate and distinct from the Force. No such dichotomy exists, but neither does it exist in life. Since all life is connected through the Force, all things are manifestations of the living Force. So, it can express its will through any individual, anything, or animal at any time. Time has no meaning in the Force, so the spirit of Kanan could be represented by the wolf, even though at this point in the story, Kanan is still among the living. But while he's still alive, the Force is reaching out to him to communicate his purpose. He has a role to fulfill on Lothal before he can complete his destiny and join the living Force, which is exactly what he does. The ancient Jedi Temple appears to be a gateway for this powerful force nexus on Lothal. It's been hidden here for thousands of years, and it was one of the few Jedi Temples that escaped notice of the Empire until the final season of Rebels. Once it's discovered, the Emperor shows great interest in it and the mysteries it contains. The temple is excavated by a team of Imperial archaeologists, and a mural is found depicting a trio of individuals, a female, and two males. They appear to be deities of some kind with a connection to the Force and to this temple, but what and who were they? Through a series of events, the Ghost crew manages to sneak back to the Jedi Temple on Lothal, but this time Ezra enters through a strange portal that deposits him in a place unlike any he'd ever seen. On the other side of the portal is a vast space filled with stars and pathways of light. Along these endless pathways exist other portals, and Ezra soon learns these are doorways into other parts of the galaxy in different time periods. The Force is what gives the Jedi its power. It's an energy created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, binds the galaxy together. This world between worlds has a connection to the timelessness of the Force, and the beings on the mural outside the temple are somehow connected. Many years earlier, and far from Lothal, 
Ahsoka, Anakin, and Obi-Wan had a very similar experience during the Clone Wars. Which brings us to the most inscrutable addition to Force mythology in the entire saga, Mortis. It's featured in a multi-episode arc of the Clone Wars. The figures on the mural of the Jedi Temple on Lothal are the Mortis Gods, also known as the Ones, or the Anchorites, or the Father, Son, and Daughter. Suffice it to say, they have many names. The word Mortis is Latin for death. That's the first clue to understanding this storyline and how it contributes to the larger mysticism surrounding the Force. Mortis stands in contrast to Yoda's quest for life after death. If Yoda's journey into the mystical realms of the Force represented rebirth and life within the Force, Mortis counters that with an exploration of death and an end to all things. In the third season of The Clone Wars, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka travel to the location of a Jedi distress signal that hasn't been used in 2,000 years. What they find there is a mysterious obelisk floating in space. The obelisk opens and their ship is drawn inside. All three lose consciousness. When they awake, they find they're on a small planetoid strumming with force energy. This world is unlike any other in the galaxy. The seasons seem to change with each geographic location. The cycle of day and night is accelerated, and with the passing of day into night, all life on the planet withers and dies, only to be reborn the following day. As if this ecosystem isn't strange enough, the world has only three inhabitants, and each one seems to represent aspects of the Force. The daughter is the light side, representing empathy and selflessness. The son is the dark side, selfish, passionate, and restless. The father maintains balance between his two children, and our heroes soon learn it was the father who brought them here. He wants to find out if Anakin is indeed the chosen one, destined to bring balance to the Force because the father is dying, and only Anakin can keep his children in line, which will save this world. Before I delve into my interpretation of the symbolism of these episodes, it's important to mention that showrunner Dave Filoni worked directly with Lucas on the Mortis arc. Everything about Mortis came directly from George himself, but while Filoni may have insight into what it all means, he's unwilling to provide definitive answers. Filoni believes the mystery is more important. We have answers to those questions, for sure. But if I answer directly what something is, I feel that I'll be robbing you of the purpose of that arc, which is to make you wonder, it's to make you challenge certain ideas, to ask questions. There are many mysteries in Star Wars. There are many mysteries on the planet Mortis. I think George really started to delve back into the mythology that he created about the Force itself. And we started to see some of those elements be personified in the father, the son, and the daughter. George is highly involved in all aspects of this series, but when we deal directly with the Force, um, Christian Taylor and I feel very strongly that, you know, that word has to come directly from George. Mortis is a tantalizing story 
rich with symbolism and open to interpretation. Your take on it will depend greatly on the way you process symbolism or allegory in general. People tend to fall into one of two camps here. Concrete versus abstract. What's the difference? Well, concrete thinking examines the facts and nothing else. Abstract thinking goes below the surface and extrapolates meaning from the facts. Here's a test for you. When I say the word justice, what instantly springs to mind? Does the word conjure an image of someone found guilty for theft or murder? If that's your first thought, you're probably a concrete thinker. But if the word justice brings to mind the blindfolded lady holding the scales, or if it's a concept of balance, of righting wrongs in general, then you're most likely an abstract thinker. That's an oversimplification, of course. We all possess the ability to think both in the concrete and abstract, given the situation. But the reason I pointed out the difference is because when it comes to Mortis, which is a challenging storyline to be sure, its heavy use of symbolism troubles a lot of people. They don't like ambiguity. It makes them uncomfortable. If they're concrete thinkers, they need to have it explained in the most straightforward way. It either happened or it didn't happen. It was a dream or a real place. The father, son, and daughter are real, living beings made of flesh and blood. But people who think in the abstract see Mortis as more complex, less tangible. They see Mortis as existing in both the real world and the realm of possibility, open to interpretation. When it comes to space magic and fairy tales, neither view is wrong. But what about me? Oh, I'm abstract through and through. My interpretation of Mortis and the Force in general is abstract. I'm not claiming to be right, just claiming my own insight. I believe Mortis is both a real place and a vision. The events which take place inside the obelisk are closer to a shared dream between our three heroes. I believe the Force is speaking directly to the characters and bringing them into a shared experience where the conflict within the galaxy at large is played out in this small, intimate family drama. The Force is showing the concepts of light and dark and the balance between the two as figures who have desires and agendas, and this conflict affects all life in the galaxy. The Force wants to show us that balance can be achieved if we understand what's at stake and at what cost it can be achieved. The Force is also showing us the pitfalls, the dangers that threaten to undo the balance. Mortis is a foreshadowing of what will take place when the galaxy falls into chaos. It's a warning, meant primarily for Anakin, to show him the way to fulfill his destiny as the Chosen One. Throughout the course of these episodes, Anakin's resolve is tested. He must choose between saving Obi-Wan or Ahsoka when the son and daughter seize them and threaten their lives. Anakin! The planet is the Force. Use it. You will let them go! Instead of choosing, Anakin exerts his power over the son and daughter and brings them into submission, proving he is indeed the Chosen One. I see this as a demonstration of what Anakin was meant to be. This test shows Anakin what his path will be should he accept it. Then things get complicated. Ahsoka is kidnapped by the son, and he turns her to the dark side against her will. The son wants to draw the father out of his seat of power and into the wilderness, where the son can destroy him and escape from this world into the galaxy at large. 
the father, the daughter, along with Anakin and Obi-Wan, go to rescue Ahsoka. But in doing so, the daughter is injured and Ahsoka dies. The daughter offers the last of her life force to save Ahsoka, and using Anakin as a conduit, the father transfers the remaining life energy from the daughter into Ahsoka. This possibly represents the fall of the Jedi. The daughter's gift to save Ahsoka is like the light and knowledge passed on from the dying Jedi Order to what remains of it, Yoda and Obi-Wan. Or perhaps it represents the hope that is passed to Luke and Leia. And Anakin, as a conduit, represents the bridge between a dying generation and one reborn. Before they're able to leave Mortis, however, the son has one more temptation for Anakin. I have a gift for you. I have had enough of your trickery. Mm, but you'll like this one, I promise. What if I could show you the future? He has a vision in which he sees the terrible deeds he will commit as Darth Vader. No! To protect Anakin from the torment of his own future, the father erases his memory. In a final battle, Anakin kills the son ending this family tragedy. Much the same way that Anakin eventually destroys the Sith, but only after a costly war and the death of millions. Mortis is about death, because the cycle of light against dark raging in the galaxy is one of destruction, unless it can be prevented. And this is the wisdom the dying father imparts to Anakin with his final breath. And now I die. My heart broken, but knowing the role you will play. And what is that? You are the chosen one. You have brought balance to this world. Stay on this path, and you will do it again for the galaxy. But beware. Anakin's heart, the source of his strength as a Jedi, is also his Achilles heel. He can't let go of what he can't control, and his destiny to bring peace to the galaxy suffers a tragic setback when he does eventually fall to the dark side. His choice causes much pain and suffering, not the least of which was his own. Did he fulfill his destiny as the Chosen One? Perhaps. But the dying words of the Anchorite Father call that into question. If the Force is like a river, then Anakin's fall disrupted its intended flow. But like all rivers, the Force was compelled to return to its natural current, and it found its way back through Luke. The Son redeemed the Father. Anakin destroyed the last remaining Sith, and the Force was brought into balance. His heart had betrayed the galaxy, but in the end, it was Luke's heart 
that saved it. It's a paradox, the potential of light and dark existing in all things simultaneously. It's the same dichotomy which resides in nature and in all things and in all of us. If the force exists outside of normal space and time, then it can be two things existing as one, light and the peace that comes from it, and chaos when free will clashes with destiny. The secrets of Mortis may never be deciphered, but maybe they're not meant to be. It's not the answers which matter, it's the questions. The journey towards understanding and enlightenment is its own reward. That's often lost in a world which only sees in black and white. Ambiguity is scary, it's uncomfortable and unsettling. But plumbing the depths of the unknown is how victories are achieved, and even failure can teach us more about ourselves than success. It's this quest that brings us closer to the truth than when we seek the quick and easy path. Maybe the Force is the universe looking inward on itself, at all things connected, bound together as one in search of balance and meaning. When we look to the stars and wonder what's out there, we aren't separate from those stars. We're part of the same cosmic fabric in which those stars exist. We too are bright luminous beacons in darkness. Maybe those stars in galaxies far, far away, maybe they're asking the same questions of us. So I'll leave you with this final thought about the Force. Its will stretched out over space and time, an arc bending towards balance and involving countless beings, endless streams of living things all participating in this struggle, a struggle for understanding. The Force is trying to work itself out through all life in the universe. It's a dialogue on a cosmic scale, introspection out of infinity. Imagine for a moment what that sort of conversation would sound like. Something's happening. There's been an awakening. Who are you? Why are you here? We are the ones who guard the power. We are the middle, the beginning, and the end. What is this place? I know this place. A conduit through which the entire force of the universe flows. Only in dreams. Dreams pass in time. Trust the force. Too much dark or light would be the undoing of life as you understand it. That's not how the force, That's not how the force works. The force will decide. Feel lost. You will disappoint us. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray. they betray. Do you believe you are the chosen one? The chosen one. He will disappoint himself. You already know the truth. It's true. The chosen one. The boy may be. But why him? Why are you here? I've come for knowledge. Knowledge. The forbidden kind. Something inside me has always been. I can help you. He was meant to help you. When he gets what he wants, he'll crush you. We shall see. I am your future. Your potential. The Padawan is right. The future, by its nature, can be changed. My nature is to do what is selfless. Do what is selfless.
I've encountered a virgins in the Force. Just like me, they're the last of the Jedi religion. Sometimes I wonder what's happening to the Jedi Order. I agree. Force connecting us. So much strength. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. You have a power I, I don't understand and could never have. Such power comes with a price. Once a secret is known, it cannot be unknown. You have that power too. I know there are things about the Force that they're not telling me. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, but we barely scratched the surface of all the ways the Force has been explored in the saga. Do you agree with my take on the Force, or do you think I'm totally missing the mark? Either way, I'd love to know what you thought. Shoot me an email at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com and be sure to put Forever Star Wars in the subject line. Are there any insights I left out, or are there things you'd like for me to revisit in the future? Well, send them my way. For even more comprehensive, deep dives of insight, don't forget to check out our website at clashingsabers.net and follow us on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. You can find me on Twitter at DJMMarquis. That's D-J-M-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening and supporting this series and this very special May the 4th edition. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember... Your focus determines your reality.